Welcome to RCS. I'm Dan. I'm Nick. Boy, we sound better. We do. We sound much better. <laughs> uh, we sound like we're in the same room and looking at each other and not in different states. Yeah. Um, and not that we didn't. Yeah, actually, we did not sound bad over the. I, I liked the last episode. You, we had a new gadget that you were playing with, right? Well, not on that episode, though. Oh, I uh, thought that was the new. No, oh, okay. that was just Teams. I was okay. trying to get that to work, but there's no Bluetooth module for that, and so I would have to like hardwire hop computer to. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Didn't sound the way I wanted it to. Otherwise, I wouldn't. I would just send it back if it sounded like that. Honestly. But oh, okay. <clears throat> well, we got a new toy that we can actually record on the fly now, so it'll be kind of right. fun. Yeah. 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 Uh, sorry, I was choking. So, uh, pardon the odd pause. Uh, I'm glad to see you too. You I was choking to on air because yeah, I'm sure. back here. Exactly. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> way to clarify that, Dan. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're still brought to you by Avance uh, Carter Automotive Group. Drivers Club, which we are not at this evening, but we'll be back soon. I was just talking with Casey today. Uh, Grios Garage, RCS 10 for 10% off. Boy, I use a lot of their products. <laughs> Haggerty, Let's Drive Together, Salvo Design, and York Real Estate. I mean, I you know, while <laughs> while it's in my mind, I want to talk a little bit about Drivers Club because when I was gone, you had a pretty incredible opportunity to go in and uh, did. personally interview, um, I mean, uh, what should we say, racing legend? Yeah, uh, the greatest endurance racing driver of all time, uh, literally, by the numbers. <laughs> by the numbers, okay. <laughs> and also, uh, yeah, if you've ever seen Hurley Haywood drive, he is literally one of the greatest drivers of all time. He was uh, in the likes of Steve McQueen and guys like that. Like he, That was his legendary racing era of the 80s, early 90s, even all the way back into, let's see, he's been, he was racing 50 years this year. So he started in 19, was that 61, 71, yeah. 71. I cannot math. I am still on vacation. Um, <laughs> and I got to ask him a lot of really good questions. If you haven't seen the Hurley documentary, um, that was produced by Mick Dreamy. <laughs> it's, um, it's fantastic. It's very personal. It's not what you expect from a racing documentary. Um, it is. It covers extensively racing, but it is a biography pick, and it goes into uh, a rare, very personal history of Hurley Haywood. And if uh, if you don't know, Hurley Haywood came out very publicly in late 2017, 2018. He had a book before the movie, which really was the icebreaker. But the movie really put it out there. Patrick Dempsey put in uh, did a fantastic job with that. Patrick took over the filming of that. It started off. Like, like a lot of these things, really rough and not what he wanted. And then Patrick Dempsey stepped in as not only a fan, but he was uh, Hurley Haywood managed the team Patrick Dempsey was driving for and uh, for Porsche. And he stepped in and took over the movie. Okay. And it really is a fantastic movie. One of the best biographies, let alone racing biopics I've ever seen. But yeah, I talked to Hurley and got to ask him. I asked him ahead of the interview, as we always do, especially when we interview a celebrity of his level. It's like, is there anything you don't want me to ask you? And we do that with the show as well. We we don't put we don't put. So a here's a list of all the things he didn't want to talk. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we don't want no, to start, no, We don't no, want to no. put anybody in an odd position. Yeah. And we want to get authenticity above all else. But I'm also not going to put somebody in the corner, especially somebody with uh, uh, a life like his. And he was like, No, ask me anything you want. And so uh, I asked him a lot about his relationship with Bruce Levin, as friends, that is. Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Levin's yeah. very straight, but he was uh, racing all the way through the 80s with uh, Hurley and everybody else in the Porsche 935. And, and I think we, we didn't, you didn't mean to gloss over it, but in 2017, he came out. Yes. Uh, and that was a big part of the movie and the book and things like that. Yeah. And the fact that he had been doing this his whole life and sort of hiding that. And this was, that was a big part of him kind of, not necessarily relaunching it, but getting it out there and becoming proud in his community. Yeah. And there's a very large uh, LGBT community in racing, in automotive sports, yeah. of, of course. And we, and we know tons of them. 
it's it's not uh, an uncommon thing anymore at all. In fact, it never really was. It's just now it was very uncommon for anybody to know. Yes. And so talking to him and that, I mean, he he really has made the case for himself and every other driver. Like he's like. I was good enough. It didn't matter. Yeah. Nobody cared. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You can say whatever you want, but, uh, you know, five Le Mans wins, IndyCar wins, endurance racing wins, GT wins. It's like, what are you going to say, man? <laughs> you know? Well, you were kind of telling me a story. Unfortunately, I missed it. It's funny because um, there were some pictures that popped up on Facebook. I think you posted and I was down in uh, Austin. <laughs> yeah. Where were we at? And somewhere. And I had the photo sitting on my, my, uh, my, uh, the desk and somebody walked up and goes, is that Hurley Haywood? And I was like, yep. <laughs> like, yeah, Dan's here. But um, this, this relationship he had with Bruce, like Bruce kind of helped him get into a pretty iconic Porsche. Did he not? Yeah. He, him, Bruce, um, as the story goes, basically helped him get into, I think it was the 962, which had a, Hurley had hurt his leg and needed a different, uh, basically wasn't able to drive. And Bruce helped him get into a car with a much easier clutch, which happens to be the 962 from the 917. He also raced Bruce with the 935s. In fact, uh, uh, one of the Drivers Club members brought in a series of pictures he had with Bruce Levin in them. And it was Hurley and Bruce crashing in the same corner. <laughs> it was a photo set. And, and Hurley was like, had never seen them before and was just laughing because it was like... I remember that corner. Yeah, he's yeah, like, I sure. remember that crash. Yeah, you sure. know, and the nicest guy in the world. And uh, it was it's funny to see how close everybody knew each other and had different... He had intersected so many people's lives. Well, we've talked about that before. Like how everybody how thinks racing is not a big in, the, big in the Pacific Northwest, but so many people have raced here. Every, I mean... Yeah. NASCAR legends, IndyCar legends, F1, le- I mean, people have all come up here and race, so it's kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. And he was saying, one of the, it was a funny story, he was saying, so Bruce, if you knew Bruce Levin, uh, rest his soul, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Yeah. But if you knew Bruce Levin for five seconds, you knew he was not the guy to cross. Yeah. Like, Bruce was going to be nice until he was going to punch you in the face. Like, that was about it. And, and and not that I ever saw that side of Bruce, but you knew that knowing Bruce. Like, you don't cross that guy. And he would never do that unless you gave him a good reason. And I asked Hurley, you know, well, you came out officially 2017, 2018 in the book. It's like, did your inner circle of friends knew? No. And he's like, oh, yeah. Everybody knew. He's like, Bruce knew, Steve knew. And like I said, good friends with Paul Newman, Steve McQueen, like the biggest names in racing. And everybody knew. And he goes... They just didn't care. And he goes, and Bruce and him were really, like, really close friends. And he goes, and it always felt good with Bruce because, you know, if ever, anybody ever said anything, Bruce is going to be the first one to punch him in the mouth for it. <laughs> Bruce is going to deal with it real quickly and swiftly. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, they didn't care. Like, he was a racer. That was the relationship they had. It was a very, not just professional. They were friends, too. But also, it was like, they had his respect because how do you not respect somebody with that many racing titles? So, yeah. It's one of the best interviews I've done to date, for sure. Because Porsche, Porsche Club of America brought him up here, or Porsche Club of America, Pacific Northwest Porsche, Northwest Club. Porsche Club. Yeah. So big shout out to them and a big thank you to them for setting that up. Um, Drivers Club had him there first because, uh, of course, uh, one of the members has a 962. And they let him borrow it. <laughs> I was like, hey, remember this car? <laughs> all, yeah, I think you, you can trust him with it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so he did like a, a, a walk overview interview session with the Porsche Club with the Porsche 962. And uh, he didn't race that specific Porsche 962. But of course, he probably knows that car better than anyone else in the entire world outside of a Porsche engineer who designed it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And he probably knows how to drive it better. Yeah. So uh, it was really fun to get that opportunity, though. I can't thank Drivers Club enough for letting letting us do that setting that up sorry you couldn't be there it was, I, I, it was funny because everything got set up and I was like oh, I cannot wait to do that and then it's like oh I'm flying out that night there's no way I can be in two places but I'm glad you could be there and, and get to do it and really meet a legend and um, what a nice guy too like 
genuinely super nice and humble. My dad was saying that. My dad got a, a chance to go, and he, he knew a little bit about it, but he said it was an incredible interview. He said it was a little hard to hear him because he didn't want to use a microphone. He did not want to use a microphone. But, you know, he's old school, so that's, that's, that's okay. Yeah. So, nice. Yeah, just there's one for the... One to t- that I'll always remember, though, for sure. I can't remember the time I interviewed Hurley Haywood. <laughs> That'll look good on the resume. Absolutely. Yeah. It was fantastic, though. Good. I, again, a huge shout-out and thank you to Drivers Club, Casey, David, yeah, managing. So now you, Doug, you've, you, you've made it all the way back up here from, from Moab. You finally got back. The truck looks fabulous. You must, Like you said, you used it probably gallons of Griot's garage, probably. Oh, I got to talk more about that. So, yeah, I've washed that truck probably... 10 times in the last week, almost out of a necessity. So like we have pretty nasty conditions here for, because we have a lot of gravel and dirt and everything kind of gets mixed in with the rain all the time down there. It's dust. And that dust turns everything into sandpaper. It is fine, powdery, soft, beautiful dirt sand. It's gorgeous down there. But my entire truck top to bottom was covered in red dust. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I get a new dust paint job. Yeah, Yeah. And so I, I had, Power washed it probably every other day down there, literally. I yeah. go through the power wash. I don't know how they keep the drains clean down there because, uh, you know, you're not mm. supposed to take them there. You, you, like, you go here, they say you don't, they don't want excessively dirty trucks in the car washes here. They yeah, especially the that. one outside Dirtfish. There's a big sign. Yeah, big sign. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're not the case. Everybody goes through there. Side-by-sides, trucks, you name it, it's going through there and dumping off gallons and gallons of dirt every time, and it just washes away. Yeah. Whatever system they got's working. I was going to say, they're probably collecting it and you know, redistributing it anyway. So Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty amazing place. But uh, I, I guess I can use that for a Carter, Carter Subaru tip of the week. Um, an overlooked thing that should be done if you're an off-roader. The street guys, not as valuable to you, but if you've got both or you drive a lot in dusty conditions. One of the things I did probably the second day after having to clean the engine... <laughs> There's just so much red dirt everywhere. Yeah. As I use the ceramic three in one on all the engine covers and the hoses. Ah. Okay. And I never, I was like, man, how am I going to get all this dust off? Because it was coming off the truck, no problem. Because that thing was so covered in three in one that everything just blew right off it. Um, made it really easy to keep clean. Like I said, I posted one of the photos. People were so shocked. Like, I, I was like 50 miles out in the middle of nowhere on Chicken Corners, which is a great trail, by the way. And they're like, how is your truck so clean? Like, literally, somebody stopped and asked me, they're like, because it's, I'm driving through mud holes, everything, and it just keeps falling off the truck. And they're yeah. like, it's covered in the wheel wells, but the truck itself is like just pretty spotless. And they're like, how's your truck so clean? I'm like, nah, three in one. <laughs> Conversations to have in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and like I said, Moab is busy, so middle of nowhere does not mean not busy. It's sure. just middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, so using that on your engine covers and your hoses may sound like overkill or like that's you know that's a little too detail oriented. Oh no. If you're doing a bunch of off-road, if you have a side-by-side, especially with all that exposed stuff, that stuff's magic. You want to go through there, wax that stuff, clean it up. It'll save you so much work in the end. And as we've said before, a clean engine is an engine you can see and see if there's problems. So if you're an oil leak or anything like that. And I so. mean, you know, a lot of people say, well, you don't want to spray that stuff on your hose. This stuff you can, it, you can spray on your hoses and things like yeah. that. In the old days, people would be putting armor all and stuff like that. Armor all used to eat the crap out of your dash and people, yeah. it would dry it out. But this stuff is really good. It's really great. But the one thing that, that we kind of talk about, and we tell people we don't like to use car washes a lot, but the, you did go use a car wash when you, go, you got back. I had to spray under the car. Yeah. I don't have, my driveway's not, I'm getting the shop set up and ready for new concrete and all that, but I didn't have a way to get underneath the truck, and it was awful, so I'll admit straight through. I just went through and did a, a touchless 
spray off the under the underbody spray yeah just yeah. T- yeah the touchless i went through probably three times just trying to get all the mud off of it and it was just bleeding red dirt the entire time where did you get this from yeah. so i'm like basic wash basic Sorry. wash basic wash which that stuff is terrible for your paint by the way the chemicals they use and that stuff it's not like uh hazardous to the environment it's all biodegradable it but it just strips, strips everything so you'll, you're going to need to re, redo your three and one on everything yeah and like yeah. it's that time of the year anyway it's getting cold i'm going to redo the re, i'm going to rewax it and all that i've made space in the shop so i have i'll heat it up and wax it in there it'll be fine but it, i and i knew that going into it but it's the only way i was going to get it clean i'm still going to take it to park place and have them detail it yeah i mean why not yeah yeah Nice. So yeah, tip of the week: use that stuff in places you don't expect. Anywhere it's going to get dirty, that stuff is great, especially engine covers, engine detail bays. Like it makes it so much easier to clean up. Um, I did find one more thing. I'm just going to throw this in there because this is a, a short one. I was doing the wiring for the lights. Uh, by the way, thank you, Clark, good friend Clark. I bought he bought uh, a new front bumper for his Raptor, and it came with a he put a new Baja Designs light bar that fits in it, custom. Nice. It looks beautiful, but I bought his old pocket lights, which were invaluable on this trip, by the way. I'm so glad I did that. Uh, it's one of those things if you, you question the value of until you do it. We talked about it in the last episode, but those were awesome in the desert. But uh, when, as I was doing the wiring, you can get uh, heat, you know, heat shrink for yeah. wiring and all that. Yeah. You can get that in white that fits in label makers, specifically the Dymo label maker, D-Y-M-O, dirt cheap label maker. It's like 20 bucks on Amazon. Okay. And you can get reels of heat shrink tubing that can be printed on. So you can literally print a label on a heat shrink tube. Okay. It comes out. And so I'm like, I've got one that says GoPro because I hardwired the GoPro to a switch. Oh, so it's labeled for you. I'm like, okay, why, why do you want to label them? Okay. So when you look under the uh, hood, you see all this wiring. That's how they get it so pretty and things. And this is goes shout out to Dave Horde, who does uh, a lot of the drives for Haggerty. Yeah. This, I, he posted this on his Instagram. I ordered it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is genius. And so yeah. now we have pretty little labels under the hood that say GoPro. And cool. Fog light and corner light and driving light and winch and yeah. You can chase it all down real easily. Super easy. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. So there's two and one. There's a bonus one for you today. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take our first break and when we come back, we'll uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about what's going on in Las Vegas right now. That's right. We'll be right back. We spend an average of eight hours and forty one minutes a day facing screens. Laptops, smartphones, tablets, even digital refrigerators. But what are we really connected to? Isn't it time you connected to something greater? Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. This moment of escape was created by Haggerty for people who love cars. And we're back. And here we are. Um, If you have not been living under a rock and are an automotive fan, you have heard of SEMA. Uh, SEMA is the biggest and baddest automotive trade show in the world. I mean, it really ha- yeah. it really is. Um, the short answer of it, and we're going to go into a little bit, is basically this is where all the manufacturers get together once a year, and they're really excited this year because they didn't get together last year with yeah. COVID, and they show off all their new products. I mean, a probably good example is our, our sponsor, Grills Garage, is down there. And, and as of t- – it's just started – when we recorded this, it started – I think it starts tomorrow, the 2nd. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Um, they already released a brand new orbital uh, long neck polisher, mm-hmm. you know, and they're going to be releasing new products every day, which is really cool for us being a sponsor with them. We have not seen any of the products, but this is what happens. Like, I mean, two years ago, I was really excited because Warren came out with a whole front bumper for the Subaru and the Crosstrek and it made a big thing. So, but anybody and everybody that's in the automotive world flies into Las Vegas. 
that you set up a booth and even if you're there all four days, five days, you can't get through everything. Not it's, a chance. I mean, the show cars that are made for this is incredible. I mean, I remember back in the day when, when SEMA was around and like Sony was making those the cars out of the Scions and they, the, the sides would slide out. Yep. You, it's the place to show off all the new products. Yeah, our friend Jeff, uh, Jeff Miller actually helped build us a uh, SEMA car for Nissan and for Scion back in the day. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so back <laughs> so in, cool. in Arlington, yeah. Uh, so, so cool. Yeah, so SEMA, this will give you a good history of SEMA. SEMA started back in 1963. It was called the Speed Equipment Manufacturers Association. It wasn't always Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association. It was really a racing thing. Now, they had about 100 booths, which they call a humble beginning. But if you can start a show one year with 100 booths, that's a big freaking beginning. You're doing pretty well. <laughs> You're doing yeah. pretty well. Yeah. And they, what they wanted to do, and which they still do, is develop uniform standards for certain products in motorsports. So SEMA is a standard like ASE. Uh, it's not quite the same stringencies because it's not an industry standard, but a SEMA partner has to meet a certain quality bar to put products on the market. This gives you a little thing. So one, everybody's asked us this. No, you can't get in if you're public. You have to be a reseller. You have yes. to be in in advertising, things like that. We've spoken about SEMA a ton because our good friend, Wade Kawasaki used to be the president of SEMA. Actually, he just retired. But to give you a little comparison, uh, SEMA member companies contributed to a virtually and strengthening of the $29.9 billion a year retail industry. Yeah. This is basically if you're in the industry. So let's say you're a you're a tent and wrap shop. You're going down there. You're going to find out what the best new wraps are, how to wrap, things like that. Or you or you've got a product that you've wrapped down there. So this is people in the industry that are going down to find new products and then come back to us as a re, as the consumers and present them to us, which will be really neat. Like I said, like like I said, Grios is down there. I mean, any if any car product you I mean they it used to be like I said just you'd go down there be muscle cars but now it's everything it's it's the small SUVs it's overlanding has taken over Wade yeah, has yeah, to, told me that Wade it used to be just a very small section it's a whole hall now and if you know if you've ever been to the the Las Vegas Convention Center one whole hall of one product is a lot yeah yeah uh one of the main things SEMA does and still does in racers, anybody who's into performance, you got to give SEMA a big thank you. They are a watchdog of overregulation. Um, and shocking, government for a long time loves to do overregulation of products. And SEMA, SEMA lobbies and is in the political uh, political arena making sure that those don't go overreaching. Like a lot of things they'll say are emissions related and they're really not. Um, SEMA just, uh, they... They watch over the shoulder of everything coming to the market, and if something gets tagged as uh, non-compliant, SEMA they can, and, and the manufacturer says yes, it is. This is you know BS. They can get a hold of SEMA, and SEMA will work on their behalf to prove their case, which is a big deal. SEMA is also a big part of something that we've talked about and done many interviews with is is getting young people interested in the automotive world and getting these these people that these these trades are going away the metal fab metal fab guys you know and i'm using these examples but you know the boyd coddingtons and the jesse james and things like that that those things are going away so many of the so much of the young generation doesn't want to do that they don't want to work with their hands and i get it the technology these days it's it's tough to come out of your mom's basement and stop playing Fortnite. but you know it's time (laughs) but they have a lot of programs where they they're working with a lot of uh, a lot of good people in the automotive industry worldwide to really work on getting people so that you know those of us that own vintage cars there will be people to help us fix them or you know work on them yeah and uh Another good thing about SEMA, which we are seeing more and more of, we try and talk about on the show a lot, is that it's a very diverse board of directors as well. It's uh, about 50% women and uh, and men with them. So, I mean, 
good representation across the board. In fact, the marketing director for Four Wheel Parts, uh, of all people, is a woman, and she's on the board of SEMA. So it's like, I mean, these are big names in off-road, on the street, everything. Uh, everything from historics to restoration to new electronics. Like, SEMA really spearheads a lot of that. So if you haven't been able to check out SEMA, I would talk to somebody in this industry who has an opportunity to go, like maybe somebody in Avance, HKP, anybody like that, Mules down there. Like there's a lot of ways you can kind of get a pass and get into SEMA. It's not like you can just show up there and do it, but uh, it is put, worth putting on your bucket list because you will see and be able to ask. The, one of the best things about SEMA is you can go to those tents and you're not talking to just a salesperson. No. You're talking to somebody who worked in development, which is one of the coolest things. Like the guys who work the SEMA trade show have to know their stuff because their audience isn't just members of the public. It's people that are going to be buying, installing this stuff. Yeah. It's builders. It's uh, it's other competitors. So they need to know their product like the back of their hand. This is where people come to get a- to ask technical questions, not what colors does it come in. That may be one of them. Yeah. But, you know, if you want How much voltage can I put through this line and how long can I make the line? Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to go down and talk to Warren, you're going to be able to talk, what's the tensile strength on this rope versus this rope? Which size, you know, if you could talk in a master pole, you can talk to him about kinetic energy and like all that stuff. Like this is where that stuff really shines. If you want to go there and look at wheels, it's not going to be just look at the new design. It's going to be, how is it made? What's the, you know, does it meet certain safety standards? Like, you know. The booths are incredible. I I mean, you talk about display, you know, these... Some of these booths, they build multi-million dollar cars for one year just to put in the booth to show off their products. I mean, especially the audio video guys. But I mean, some of the off-road community, I mean, if you've ever seen a wild build on the internet, most likely it was built for SEMA. Yeah, and SEMA builds throw everything under the sun at their builds. It's pretty cool to see, really. Not a lot of them are useful. <laughs> like, you know, I remember looking at some of these trucks going, that's awesome, but... The minute you take that off road, it's done. But, but. I, the back in the days, I'll date me when the Nissan Armada first came out. Yeah. Um, so that was based on the Titan. I remember Jeff helped build that with a custom lift. I think it had a, I want to say, twenty four inch lift on it. Literally, that seems I, excessive, but I mean not for SEMA. But yeah. yeah. It, no, it was a twenty inch lift with twenty four inch three piece HREs is what it was. Okay. And I think on those HREs were forty inch tires, and so I couldn't get into the truck. I had to use a ladder, literally, <laughs> to get into the Armada. It was not street legal. It was a pre-production uh, Nissan, so it didn't have a VIN, and it had like a, an actual manufacturer plate on it. But I remember looking under it, and you could literally just like walk up to it and look under to see the lift <laughs> the components. Which is neat. Like I said, if somebody yeah. goes, it, it, it's overkill, but it's neat to see what you can do with a product and, and time and things like that. It's also why if you've tried to get into some type of place like, you know, I mean... It, getting a hold of the, the corporate at Grios or HK, HK Customs here, anything like that. Yeah. They're gone right now. <laughs> they're yeah. all down there trying to find the new products or they're developing products, um, which is neat to see. There's a lot of companies up here that have gone down, you know, so it's hard to get custom work done at this moment. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, that's actually a great transition. So that was a little bit about SEMA, which you should know. They're yeah. a really great organization and SEMA's cool. You should go, know. Put go, on you, go on YouTube. You will not be. Yeah, go on YouTube and yeah. look at SEMA. Yeah. See like how it's exhaustive it is. Wear comfortable shoes. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about supply chain a little bit. Uh What's supply chain? Yeah. Uh, so we're going to need jet skis to be able to go Christmas shopping, Dan. Right. Just so we can go out to the ships. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, I was going to do this as a Carter Subaru tip of the week, but there's just, there's a lot to, I had a lot of time to write things down. But I went to go winter tire shopping for okay. the Audi. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, Nokian tires. You know, Nokian, they, they, so Nokian back in the, the 30s literally invented the winter tire. And 
They were they oh, Swedish or no? What are they? Uh, Finnish, I think they're Finland. Same guys that make the phones. Nokia, no, <laughs> Nokia, no, no. <laughs> I played Snake a lot. Um, yes, <laughs> we all did. <laughs> yeah, well, they just opened a, t- a factory in Tennessee. Um, Nokia's blowing up. They've won basically every winter tire test on the on the planet. Like everybody goes to Nokia if you can get it. Well, you can't. Uh, almost all of them are on back order, uh, even though their stuff is made here now. If you need winter tires, you're probably on the very end of being able to get any at all. Uh, most get tire. them for next year. Get them for next year. Yeah. Um, and I did. <laughs> let's jump into another one. <laughs> I want to make sure there's there's you know that person at the party who's like, well, actually, yes, yeah, we all hate that guy. If you're that guy, everybody hates you. But I'm going to say it this time. Well, actually, <laughs> uh, when it comes to winter <laughs> tires, I've heard a term thrown around a lot that I want to clarify, and people. It's important that you do clarify it. You shouldn't say snow tires. Snow tires are different than winter tires. Winter tires are temperature dependent. Snow tires are made for driving in the snow. There are very few snow tires on the market. You're like, well, aren't they the same thing? No, Um, because if it's really cold, like in Utah right now, but there's no snow on the ground, you still need a winter tire. (laughs) And it's because uh, most all-season tires, even really good ones, basically turn into um we use the analogy of like a chocolate book yeah. well use the analogy of like a chocolate bar okay chocolate bar room temperature is nice and soft and pliable you can eat it really easily but if you put it in the freezer it's hard as a rock and it's still good but it's not nearly as good as one at room temperature depending on who you ask but it was easy to eat um the same thing happens to your tires below 40 degrees they turn into freaking rocks or hockey pucks is like you said and that's the common term so snow tires are out there there are tires that are made for snow. They are deep tread, and you probably don't want them on a car on the road. Uh, they actually don't do very well in the rain, as common as a common misbelief. Uh, snow tire, or winter tires don't work that well in the rain. Um, you have better all seasons for that. Actually, where all seasons do pretty well. So when somebody says snow tires, I would advise you correct them because that's something that needs to be changed in people's minds. There's an old thing that snow tires and winter tires are the same thing, and they are definitely not. Well, and if you go to any place like Discount or Right Away Tire and you say, I need, I need winter tires, I need snow tires, they're going, a, a good place should correct you and go, what are you doing with this? Now, right. if you're planning on, on putting those on and going up into the Great White North and, and running around in the snow, you need snow tires or, 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 you know, but all weather, and again, all seasons. <laughs> no seasons. Yeah, no seasons. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. There's a little bit of everything in there. Yeah, and for for all seasons, quote unquote, people have asked this question a lot. We talked about it a long time ago on the show. I still tend to draw uh, steer people toward the uh, Continental DWS 06. That's about the best all season I can think of, and it actually does have a winter rating. It carries a three peak rating. There is a tread uh, in the tread. There it says DWS. When that wears down, it officially loses its snow rating. Oh. That's the softer compound on the tread, and when that goes away, your tires are no longer rated for snow. And if you've owned a high high performance tire, you know that soft tires burn quickly, real quick, and they'll re- they'll really burn quickly in the winter. As much as much as you think the ground is wet and things like that, they will burn off very quickly. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we've had some frosty mornings already, so it is already time for winter tires. Yeah, so I mean, and Dan and I are coming from the generation I remember putting on winter tires that had studs and or pieces of walnut in them for yep. traction. They still do that. Uh, it's not a gimmick, actually. There's a lot of walnut in tires, just the way. We, we can get into that forever, but walnut's not a gimmick. People tell you that it, it does make a decent winter tire. A lot of it now, we've we've kind of progressed beyond that with the our ability to create complex rubber compounds. So, like, even a studded winter tire, uh, you want a really good one. You want to be careful with those. Obviously, they tear up the road terribly. In fact, if you look at um, 
uh, I-90 is a perfect example just out past Issaquah. It's one of the worst highways I've ever driven is right out I-90 past Issaquah up to, well, Cleelum all the way over. It's rutted. It's awful. People camp in the left lane because it's so awful to stay in the middle and the far right lane. It's not because they just want to stay in the, the left lane, usually. It's because it's too rough. Like, I remember driving in my Porsche. It was like, okay, I guess I'm going to go faster than everybody else and go in the left lane because it's too rough to drive on a low-profile tire. That is because semis and people with studded tires rip up the road. I mean, they don't really have a choice, but old studded tires, the stud didn't give way on hard pavement. New studded tires from uh, Nokian, for one, but also I think Michelin and a few others that are studdable. The compound uh, that's beneath the studs actually gives way. It's very soft, way softer than the rest of the tire, and that stud will collapse into the tire. When it gets cold enough, that becomes rigid. That rubber inside becomes rigid and holds the stud out. So, and typically on a dry pavement, your tires will I love be technology. Warm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And on dry pavement with a, a tire, it doesn't. It'll warm up much faster, and so it, it'll just soak that uh, that stud back in the tire and not damage the roads nearly as much. And in fact, there's a new standard for that. It's in Canada, of course, where <laughs> no tires, stud tires are required in a lot of places. Yeah, uh, yeah, around Ontario, where there's a new standard that's going to be passed. We'll probably see it in the U.S. in ten years when we finally catch up with the real world. And uh, we'll be able to get that set of tires of rating. So, well, and I know uh, I went over to Clayland on Saturday, I, and all the road signs say that you have to have chains after November first. Yep. Uh, even there's no snow in the past, by the way. No, not at all. <laughs> but um, yeah, they are now starting to require that, especially and it, it, carry you, you yeah. huh? Carry. You have to carry them. Yeah, yeah. you don't have to, to run them, but and that too rips up the road. <laughs> Oh, chains more than anything. Chains more than anything. And that unfortunately, our state requires that. And if you're coming in an SUV or you have a Subaru or something like that and you have an all-season, you should be fine and you are not going to be fined. But, I mean, it's always a good idea to carry chains just in case. I mean, I think I've had a box of chains in the back of my Subaru for I don't know how many years. I've never used them, but. Uh, you don't have to carry them in all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive. You have to carry them in everything else. Yeah. I, I've always, I, I think I originally got the tip from you. I've always carried them just in case I needed to either loan them out or something like that or have, <laughs> right. you know, sell. Yeah. Yeah, because they fit multiple sizes yeah. for the most part. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, what else was I going to say? We, as I was driving, um, we were talking about tires in the last episode, and somebody else commented that they agreed with our KO2 choice and decision saying, they're a great tire. They're not a great tire for here. I want to no. make sure that's really, really clear. The KO2 was probably the most ideal tire I could have had in Utah I because it was so tough and it's so rocky. A lot of those rocks are really jagged down there. And that tire airs down really well with the weight of the truck. I was running about a constant. I think I found the sweet spot for Moab this time of year was about 16 to 18 PSI at most. That high, okay. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, a lot of the roads are pretty well maintained. The off-road roads, yeah. the off-road trails are pretty well maintained. And I wasn't going very fast. And so that was, that was pretty good. Um, the Raptors traction systems are incredible like that thing just crawls over anything in rock crawl mode like i literally so just cool. like hit the cruise control like 0.5 because it has the off-road cruise control and just let it do its thing yeah. if i had clearance i was making it over it um but they were fantastic down there and they didn't chunk at all i didn't have any slicing um, a really soft tire like we i would run up here probably would have held up but not as well so well like you were saying those rocks are like sandpaper and they will will eat through tires yes uh, very quickly yeah, so, especially if you're on the gas and burning them. Yeah, yeah, and so even in the cold down there, because that's a three peak rated uh, snow rated tire as well. Uh, those do well in that uh, environment. It was the perfect tire for Utah. And they were cold in the morning and, and probably heated up during the day, and they still did really well. Yeah, it yeah. ranged in the same day; it'd go from thirty to seventy there. I nice. think at one point it was seventy eight degrees. Actually, the next day it was like forty, <laughs> which is nice if you're outside <laughs> in the weather. But yeah, 
It looked like, I mean, I, I was noticing some of the photos you came home. You, you took, had some time to go through arches at night. That was absolutely gorgeous. Um, getting yeah. to see everything. I got some really awesome nighttime photos down there. It was great. Thanks to your iPhone. Thanks to my iPhone. Don't give up on it, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> my new Pixel Pro should be here in like three weeks. Thank God. If, if you don't know, I've known Dan for probably six years, seven years, and he's gone back before it between iPhone and Pixel. It's been fun. This one's lasted the longest. I usually get rid of the iPhones after the first week. But I was going to say, year. yeah, this is, I'm not sure what, what, you know, what type of, you know, which, witchcraft is happening, but uh, yeah, <laughs> wait, again, the supply chain. Yeah. If, and if we were joking about it earlier, but seriously, if you're thinking about Christmas and car parts or anything, you need to start looking now because it is, it is really bad. Yeah. Um, do your orders now, please, please, please. If you, car people talk to the supply. I mean, the the vendors around here, Mule, HKP, anybody's going to tell you the same thing. If you want it, get it now. Yeah. And I was really disappointed with, like I said, I talked about it a couple of shows ago, the sliders I ordered for the truck. Yeah. They're probably still two and a half months out. And that limited me so much on this trip. I was, I scraped the running boards on tons of trails. Not, not bad enough to bend them because I was being really, really careful, but I definitely dragged them through the dirt on many, many trails. And if I had sliders, it would have been right. You were saying that there was some, I forgot the word that was on the trail, like high, high rocks or high clearance or you need a high clearance vehicle or yep. something like that. There's a, there, the, what is it? The um, Bureau of Land Management. Yeah. And I called the DOT down there. It's the Bureau of Land Management does an amazing job of marking the trails and what's required. And people are typically very respectful of that. So they don't have to pull people out in the middle of nowhere. But yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you stop at the trailheads. It's funny. It's like mountain biking where it's like high clearance, four wheel drive required or side by side or whatever. And yeah, I really want to side by side. <laughs> Sounds like you still want to be in Utah. Yes. I mean, or Idaho. Or yeah. Idaho. Yeah. Was, how was the drive back? Uh, it was a blast. Blast. Okay. Yeah. I left at, f- uh, 5 AM okay. uh, from, uh, Moab. I 5 AM their time. So 4 AM this time. And I had the road to myself for the majority of it. Cruise control, because the speed limit's 80, so I had mid to high 80s the whole way. Did you just come up through Salt Lake City and up? Uh, yeah, just okay. the base route. Stopped yeah. at Black Rifle Coffee Co. That was awesome. Yeah, tell me about that. I saw that photo. I, I've followed those guys. I mean, my yeah. dad's been a subscriber of them. I mean, they have, if you don't know, they're the ones that have the Prius with the 50 cal on, mounted on the top of it. It's so. a Vulcan 50 cal. It's a so Vulcan it's 50 cal. Gatling yes. gun yeah. for your old school guys. But yeah. yeah. Where'd, you, where'd you stop? I thought they were in Texas. No, they're Utah. They have several locations, but there's only one that's open on Sundays in northern Salt Lake City. Okay. And so I found that I really wanted to stop on the way back, and I spot, you know, I think I joked, I spent like $6 on coffee and $150 on swag. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, if you don't know, they're veteran-owned, veteran-run. Um, yeah, and, and more than just our veterans, like they they have helped uh, rescue some of our uh, collaborators from Afghanistan that were on the, the kill list for the Taliban over there for helping the U.S. They've employed them. Those guys put their money where their mouth is, and you know every every corporation. They're big, by the way. They're not some mom and pop shop. BRCC they used is, to be. They used to be. But they are <laughs> yeah. huge. Like yeah. they have a massive uh, marketing campaign, but they they do a lot of good. They put their money where their mouth is, and you know even if you don't agree with all their stuff, they are getting, helping people find jobs. Like really, really getting people back to work. And truthfully, I mean, some of the big influencers, Manspot, Crispy, and all the I mean, the stuff they do for their some of their social media stuff is so, so funny. funny. Absolutely. Matt Best <laughs> yeah. is one of their guys. He's one of their marketing guys who's just absolutely hilariously funny. Great book he wrote, by the way. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, you know, a lot. I know a lot of people, it, it, it involve, involves guns and things like that, but these are really good guys. It's, they really, they support America. 
So yeah, yeah, yeah. Even back home and afar. So yeah. it, I had to make the stop because I was coming through. I was like, oh, I gotta get my. Back I didn't home. even know that existed because I knew they. I thought they had moved out of Utah and they had moved to Texas. So I, I'm well, glad maybe to they see, have. They still they but, still have a yeah. huge presence there. But they started in Utah, Idaho, Utah, and that, well, they were they were in Idaho or something like that. I think but, Post Falls, maybe I can't remember. It was no, I was thinking it was su- more southern, but um, yeah, there's it's great. I mean, it's good coffee too. My dad loves their coffee. Yeah, yeah. So. Got a bunch of their coffee. Yeah. I've had Imagine so much that. coffee on this trip. <laughs> Dan's vibrating across well, the Well, my favorite right cup of coffee is Moab Garage Co. Um, and so I had like coffee every day. That was like my like religious routine. Got to go to Moab Garage Co., then go on the trails. And I see you've been listening to our good friend Carl. You waited for, you found the background and waited for the photo to happen. You yes. got great pictures of your <laughs> truck in front of everything. You know, so. Yeah, yeah, I really tried to up my photo game this this time. I think I did okay. So. You, you did X. I mean, the, the, following that journey was a lot of fun, you know. Well, I, I really hope our listeners just get out there and do it. I did want to talk more about uh, some of the technical parts of planning this trip and being on this trip. A lot of people have asked me, Raptor's not exactly known for its mileage, let's put that. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, uh, no, neither are any high-lift SUV. How many miles are on the Raptor now? Uh, 27,000. I'm just, I just literally, I'm like the only person ever who called somebody asking for an extended warranty. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, no, I'm calling you about the extended yeah, I don't want like, one. Wait, what? No, I want one. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, and so it's still under bumper to bumper, but uh, I'm just eating up the miles and loving every minute of it. But I did add up my fuel costs for this trip. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and which bank are you getting the loan from? Yeah, that was about <laughs> it. So keep in mind that a lot of my, my miles, even though I, I think I put, 2,500 miles on it, or maybe 3,000 miles, something like that, in the trip. But a lot of that was, uh, when I was in Moab, was slow crawl, off-road, four-low. Like, the worst thing you can do for mileage is, like, you know, yeah. a lot of torque all the time. <laughs> yeah. And so <laughs> I I spent $648.51 in fuel. <laughs> yeah, but you have an <laughs> epic birthday trip. So, yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> so uh, that was really expensive. <laughs> Especially yeah. with the way gas prices are now, and I was I was annoyed today. I wrote Costco a message on on Instagram. They they cap it at a hundred dollars here for Phillips, and, uh, and you and you have to do you have to drive away after that, or can you no, start over? I just started over again. Okay, and I, it cost me. I think I let it, I let it get down the lowest I've ever gotten, which was the light was on, and that was I filled up in there's Baker a, City. You know, there's a light in your. I'd never seen it. It turns oh. the gauge orange. Well, look at that. I That's usually nice. fill up at a quarter tank <laughs> yeah. or, or more, just out sure. of habit. Like I said, I've talked about it on the show, but I was just on a mission, and I was like, oh crap, I got to get gas, and I was fine. But my most expensive fill up on the trip was 138 dollars at one pump, and that oh. was in Oregon. And okay. so, which I actually got to pump my own gas. That was weird. <laughs> yeah. I, I always screw up when I'm there and I yeah. start to grab it and the guy's like, you can't do that. You'll get me fired. Yeah. No, Sorry. it was in Baker City too, which oh, is populous. They just, but the, the funny thing is uh, they didn't have enough staff. Oh, okay. They didn't have anybody to pump my gas. And so guess what? You to pump your own gas, which I was like, oh, I asked and they're like, yeah, we don't have enough people. Just pump it. I was like. Okay. I saw the greatest meme. Somebody took a picture of a sign at Taco Bell that says, we're understaffed. We really apologize. If you're really, if, if you're really bothered, please pick up an application. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 So that, that was probably the most expensive part of the trip overall. Um, the food was amazing there, by the way. There was one time, the Moab Brewery, their food sucks. Their, their beer was good, but their food was the worst some of the worst I've ever had. Like I wished for a middle school cafeteria after that trip. Everything oh, else was fantastic. Okay. Was All terrible. Right. Some lady in a hairnet, huh? Yeah. I wish. <laughs> yeah. She probably okay. would have cared more. Anyway, um, other than that, everything else was there. Was everything was great. Did but. you get to get to talk and sit down with our friends at uh, your favorite coffee company there? Oh yeah. Okay. 
Aaron and Ryan are the owners. Um, I didn't get a chance to interview them. They were very, very busy, again, understaffed. Um, yes. And so I was, they were saying how it's weird for them because usually they have enough people in an industry like that with a, a, a during this is peak tourist season. Uh, Moab is a tourist town, so they close most businesses. There close that aren't that aren't like really mainstream. Close from Thanksgiving to like like early March because it's just so cold. You can still go off roading there, but there's just not many people there. Yeah. But they were saying they were both working their butts off all day, every day, no time off. Like they would they took they were closed Tuesday and Thursday just so they could have a break. Like normally. Yeah or Tuesday, Wednesday restock. And yeah, yeah. Playing, I mean, they don't have yeah. people to cover. And so they unless it's either burn out all the employees or <laughs> take time yeah. off in the middle of the week. You can only give somebody, but so many, so much coffee before they're like, I can't do it anymore. Well, I mean, they're a full restaurant cafe there too. Like they have everything and they own the donut shop in town too. Uh, bird donuts. Their last name's bird. So, Oh, got it. <laughs> or dough bird, excuse me, dough bird. Okay. And uh, yeah, best cronut I've ever had. But yeah, if you want to do a trip this time of year, uh, I highly recommend it because there's almost nobody in Arches and Canyonlands for once. It's the perfect temperature to be in Zion or Bryce Canyon. Normally, you go out there, and it's like 90 degrees during the day. It was a very comfortable between, I think we did a sunrise hike uh, to Delicate Arch, and mm-hmm. the trail was not empty, but it wasn't busy. Uh, parking was easy, and it was like 45 when we started, and that's like a one-mile uphill hike, so yeah. you don't care that it's that cold because <laughs> it's just all uphills at the top. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it was the probably the best times I've been in the parks. Is there just wasn't enough? The kids are back in school. It's cold enough to where you're not getting a lot of the uh, um, the snowbirds anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just it's the perfect time to be there. Like if I wish I could just turn around and go back because, I mean, I've done every hike I guess in Arches and Canyonlands in the main parks, but there's so many around Moab and so many around Utah. There's so many places I want to go. And I think that's something that people miss too. And I, I think they picked it up from the last podcast. And the fact that you didn't just go there to go drive around in the desert. You drove out there to go on these hikes and these mm-hmm. wonderful, see a lot of the scenery that you can't get to on a motorized vehicle. Yeah, it was a, we did our longest hike was like seven miles, which was not bad. Comfortable though, within the weather's cool like that for yeah. once. I mean, there was one flash flood while we were there, um, which we just you just stay out of the way for a day and it's gone. We had those here. I mean, you did. Yeah, so <laughs> I mean, you know, that's nothing. Come on, we can get those here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, I mean, it sounds like a good time. I mean, and I think we can we can actually Dan and I've talked about. It. I think we can turn that into an episode. We can kind of talk about the planning of that trip and kind of. Yeah, it's, there's a lot more to it than you think. I've helped a lot of people plan trips, but they've left kind of the details up to them. But when it comes to something like that, it makes a, makes a big difference to call ahead to places. Um, like I said, the Utah Bureau of Land Management probably does it better than anybody else. They have the best national parks, and they really stay on top of the off-road resources there, which is unheard of outside of Utah and Idaho, really. no others, Montana doesn't have as much as you think because it's not as populated, neither does Wyoming for that matter. Um, common misconception is places like that are going to have endless off-roading. Uh a lot of it's unauthorized, for one, but there's just not as many people. There's not enough to maintain that much land. There's huge ranches and stuff like that. But Utah, especially, has all of these parks interconnected. Like, I could have gone, um, there's a, a park you maybe never heard of, a lot of people have. It's called Bears Ears National Monument. And you can get there from the trail at Chicken Corners, all off-road. And that's a probably a three-day trip to do that. Like, you could do it maybe in two days if you were really careful and you had the right vehicle for it. I couldn't have done it in the Raptor, but if you're a guy with like a, a lifted two-door Jeep, this is your bread and butter. You're going to love it. If you got a side-by-side and you're really adventurous and want to pack camping gear with you, all for it. But 
How long do you think that is? Like, it's a three-day trip, but how many miles? Because I think that's the thing. People go, oh, it's, it's, it's 50 miles. I can get there in a day. Like, no. It's probably, oh, I'm totally guessing at this point. Probably 100 miles, maybe. Okay. But, yeah, that's why, that's why I would say it's a three-day trip. So, Chicken Corners and that trip was probably, I think I did like 60 miles that day. And it took me a solid seven hours, plus driving back at, in, in the dark because I didn't leave on time. <laughs> My own fault. Um, so yeah, that's another big thing. Like the easy trails are genuinely easy. You can take them in almost anything. Uh, like I said, a stock Subaru wilderness edition is going to do every easy trail in Moab and love it. No problems. You don't need to do anything else, but get out there and drive and maybe air down for comfort. But if you don't want to air down, you don't have to do that. You're going to be just fine. I'm seeing a ton of those wilderness editions on the road now. Yeah. <laughs> which is cool. Yeah. Perfect car for every easy trail, which are still worth it. There's nothing, there's no downside to the easy trail. A lot of the, the hard and uh, very hard. They have a very hard. Um, those are more technical, like test the limits of your rig. Medium is more exploratory. Easy and medium are exploratory. Put it that way. Yeah. And there's some cool stuff you can get to on the harder trails, but there's usually ways around it on an easier medium trail. Or you can have one of the tour companies take you where you want to go to. With that said, I mean, yeah, I keep I keep saying it, but you guys got to get to Utah. If you're if you're an explorer like me, Utah is paradise. Yeah. Like great people and even better things to do. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll uh, talk about Avance news and some of the news that's already coming out from SEMA right now. Grandpa, what do you call this thing again? It's a 66 Ford Bronco. I think you got ripped off. Why is that, honey? It's got no Wi-Fi, no USB port, no Bluetooth. Exactly. I guess we'll just have to talk. Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. Is that the window button? It's called a window crank. Cool. The faster I move it, the faster it goes down. This moment of escape was created by Haggerty. Being old is kind of cool, Grandpa. Works for me. For people who love cars. And we're back. Uh, as Dan and I are literally sitting here recording this, we're starting to look at SEMA news. It's starting to pour into our phones. And if you don't know, and this is a question I had to ask Dan, what is a Ford Ranger Tremor? I mean, I thought... It's going to be about the movies. They're going to put those. You're going to have a big worm thing going on the road. God, that would be cool. Right? I kept thinking about that when I was in Moab. I was like, <laughs> no worms here. Get to the rocks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but um, if you don't know, it, literally, if you go online right now and type in uh, SEMA News, uh, Haggerty's got a great uh, article that comes up with some of the new builds that are coming to SEMA. I um, mean, one of them is a collaboration with Outside Magazine and uh, Attitude Performance with a Ford Ranger trimmer, which looks absolutely awesome. Yeah, and let's talk a little about the Tremor first. So Ford has a couple of off-road packages. They have the FX4, which is your standard, like, better shocks, uh, a couple of skid plates, and a locking rear diff is standard on the F-150, 250. Yeah, I think it's just those two. And, and and now the Ranger coming as well. And then they have the Tremor package, which is even better shocks, uh, typically better skid plates or different skid plate options. And that's a, usually you know, some trim options, blacked out stuff, uh, fender flares, not quite a Raptor. This, this is one step below Raptor. Yeah, one it. step below Raptor. Okay. And for a lot of you, that might be the better pick because the Raptor, as I've mentioned many, many times, is a fat pig. And if it doesn't fit, it's not going to go. And so you can still get a lot of um, a lot of the stuff you need to do most trails with a Tremor package. And I'm a big believer in buy as little as you need to get the job done. A lot of a lot of overkill is just more weight, more money. You don't really need it. So the Tremor is a great option for an out-of-the-box package. Um, I think it'll probably be the right option for the Ranger because, as you've said before, the Ranger Raptor is almost as wide as the full-size Raptor, which yeah. kind of defeats the purpose. 
great in the desert, but in the trails <laughs> where we mostly have around here, and don't get me wrong, I love my Rafter. It's a great vehicle for me because I like to go long distances, and it's very comfortable for that with its susp- suspension. But for off-road, there's more cases where I would probably be better off in a smaller truck and a narrower truck. Tremor really does a good job of that. So I'm excited to see that more and more of the Ranger being built because I'm, I'm a fan of the Ranger for a truck. If they get them built. If yeah. they get them built. Yeah. Again, supply chain issues. But uh, the one here already looks great. Uh, I don't, I'm not really a fan of Ford's partnership with Rigid. I don't have anything personally against Rigid. I just think there's better lights out there for the money with Vision X, especially uh, being an Avance partner. And also, I'm in love with Baja Designs. Everything they make just works fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm looking through some of this stuff. I mean, like you said, the trimmer package is coming on the F-150. There's an advanced accessories concept, F-250 Super Duty trimmer that they're going to be releasing that looks really, it looks almost like a 250 Raptor. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really cool. There's I saw a couple of those running around, the, the trimmers pulling <laughs> pulling trailers with, you know, side-by-sides and Absolutely. Jeeps on. Absolutely, yeah. It's kind of cool. Well, and mean, Broncos, for that matter. Use it. And then there's, there, and I knew this was going to be a big thing this year, that, that Shelby Mach-E just abomination uh just an abomination so uh, i don't yeah. think it's the mach e i'm sure oh, it's a great God. you know electric Why suv would you but call it a mustang, mustang. And yeah. it's really so. it reminds me of when they did the 70s what was the, what they did the pinto concept mustang like this is like that yep kind of to me when you call it a mustang blasphemy is just what it is call yeah. it a sport suv electric i don't know just something. call it's, it the mach e you don't need to call it a <laughs> no I don't know. I, I keep seeing them on the ground. I mean, they're not they're not horrible, but I just don't. They drive nice. That. Yeah. Have yeah, you driven they, one? Uh, just everybody. I know a few people that have them. Oh, nice. Okay. They like them. They drive great. And Ford's put a ton of money. A lot of people put in uh, that, what do you call it? The non-Tesla charging infrastructure. It's booming oh. right now. There's okay. there's a name for non-Tesla chargers that's pretty much standard across the U.S. And there's more and more of them all the time. Like, they're really, really popping up, making electric kind of a thing that's more available to most people. Well, I mean, if you, I, I saw uh, recently, I was looking on the internet, you can go out and get a new Tesla Plaid for $160,000. No, you sorry. Get, you get less of a steering wheel. You get, <laughs> this, yeah, the flight yoke. Yeah. Oh, good God. I mean, I mean it's fast as hell. I don't. That's care. cool. But one hundred sixty grand. I, if, if a car is going to be that fast, I want a whole, I want the whole steering wheel so that when I screw up, I have more to grab onto. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. So, I mean. I don't get me wrong. The plaid's awesome. I don't know how you tell the difference. I think I think Kevin just picked up one. They're pretty cool, but I just I think I would kill myself. I, I would just rather have. I mean, I guess that money you're not into a new Porsche, but you could get a really nice 991.2 Turbo S, mm-hmm. which is quote not as fast. I know that it is faster on the top end, but uh, it's just I think a more fun car to drive. And and I've brought Maybe it up every, line. every episode. Uh, there are Bronco issues. Oh, I'm yeah. seeing massive people. There's, there was one TikTok that made a huge thing of a guy had 1,500 miles on it and was, and was pulling it into a Chevy dealership to trade it in. People, they're, it's, they, Ford pushed them out, and I guess they're not ready. First year's third year. Yeah, I know. I mean, we keep <laughs> saying that, but it's like it, it breaks my heart because I really, really want one. But I still want one, but yeah, I, yeah like I said, 2025 is my, my Bronco year. Yeah. I'm giving him more time right now because of everything that's going on. I'm like adding a few more years to yeah. that <laughs> list. <laughs> Look for 2026 coming soon. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, I saw him running around Moab, and they have the right the right measurements, and I'm sure they're better on the road than every Wrangler out there. Yeah. But that's why they're not as good off-road as every other Wrangler out there as well. So Definitely better than the electric Wranglers. 
I was telling you I was reading that article about Jeep was going to put charging stations in at the beginning of the trails. And I'm like, does that not defeat the purpose if you're putting a giant <laughs> electric charging station in? So, uh, You know, it's funny. As weird as that sounds, being around Moab, that wouldn't be that hard. There's so much off-road it's infrastructure. It's not about being hard. It's the fact that you've got, to, you've got to literally put in an electric station at the beginning of a beautiful trail. <laughs> like, that's my... Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, know. a lot of these, like you... Chicken Corners, the last day I was there, there's a massive campground before you get into there. So you could do it. I know it could be done. Actually, there is one there. just seems anti-eco. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah. I don't know. They'll make, it's kind of the, the good thing about the market, though, is, is if that's the way it's going, they're going to figure out a way to make it fun. Yeah, I, I have faith so. in that. Like, okay, if we all got to go electric, then you damn well better make it interesting. And it's nice to see an early attempt, at least, by Jeep. And you better make it fast. Yeah, well, that, Tesla's doing that. So Porsche. Yeah, I mean, as far as the charging goes. Yeah, I mean, Tesla and, and has got it, and you're right, Porsche does. But I'm just saying the rest of the cars, I, didn't, I think it's still like a drive it home, plug it in at night kind of thing. So. Yeah, traveling around as much as I have over the last several years, there is enough charging infrastructure that I don't think I would be, I would ever run out of juice. Yeah. But there's places like when we're in Eastern Oregon where it's going to take me two hours to recharge. <laughs> Yeah, there's only so many minutes. lunches you can take. Right. You know. Exactly. So. And when you're when you're having fun, you can go through that that, you know, 300 mile range is more about like 100. Yeah. Really. It really it drops that much when you're railing out of the corners and you're getting it after it. I mean, that's a lot of speed, it's a lot of power, it's a lot of fun. But until they make a hot swap system where I can pull up and it swaps the battery out and I'm good to go, you know, in, you know, just say a couple minutes like I would be a gas stop. I'm still, I'm just not sold. Yeah. It wasn't work for my lifestyle. It will work if you need a run around town car. Perfect. I would totally get a Tesla. I've said that. Like if, if I needed another round car, I would take a Tesla Model 3 or even one of those my, uh, BMW i3s. I mean, yeah. I think it's a neat, it's a neat concept to be able to run to the store cheaply. Yeah. So, I but. was, I was certain by the way that that, I, I think I said this correction, but I want to be certain I did that the car I saw on the Wabder was not a Model S. It was a Model 3, which is still <sighs> absolutely stupid. It's funny because uh, you sent me that video and I was laughing. So and Sarah and I were laughing about it hard. But then I saw somebody actually took a Model Three and jacked it up and took it off road. This yeah. is not the same Model. Not 3. the same Model Three. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I don't know how you get that. You were a long ways up into that trail. Oh yeah, that wasn't that wasn't yeah. like the beginning of the trail where they just happened to need to turn around. Yeah. That yeah. was like fifty percent into the trail. That's ridiculous. That's yeah. absolutely ridiculous. But I mean. I'm sure the Tesla dealership is dealing with that now. So I saw an interesting thing um, that's coming around. Speaking of SEMA, mm-hmm. uh, they are more and more companies are making aftermarket portal axle kits. You can get aftermarket portal axles, which if you have looked at a uh, G wagon specifically, there's uh, many other vehicles that use Hummers them. and G wagons. Yeah, yeah, Hummers and G wagons. G wagons are the most popular thing you're going to see. If you see a giant jacked up G wagon, it's not necessarily a giant lift kit. It's called a portal axle. We've talked about that on the show before, but now they're hitting the aftermarket scene which is really cool because you can get vehicles with independent suspension way up in the air. That could make for some, think down the road, think yeah. the Rivian, think things like that where you actually do have a truck chassis and Rivian is testing the hell out of those things off-road. But would Rivian need a portal axle? Because wouldn't they just need to drop the, the motor down farther? Well, one of the things Rivian talked about in, um, I watched a pretty extensive clip on Rivian development. And one of the things they said in the truck was they tested those axle angles like to the extreme because they they don't work like a normal uh, all-wheel drive system 
when you have independent motors like that because the, the motors are independent per wheel. Yeah, I, was, I didn't even know there was axles in the Rivian. I thought they were motors mounted to the back of the, each wheel. Right, and so the extended, uh, so this would give things like that a way to drop down even further. Okay, because you'd have to move that motor around. But as you adapt these ideas around, and we get into these cars that just aren't made to <laughs> to be really off road hard, you could hide the, the 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 motors up higher and get them out of the way too. Yeah, okay. no, or, you know, I'm I'm waiting to see how the aftermarket or how the electric market really tackles this because there's obviously as we've said overlanding is huge and there's a huge market for it yeah so i'm really excited to see how they do things with rivian especially though they seem the most open to doing it which is why i'm pro, I mean, very pro rivian if you've seen a long way up rivian has already proven that you can do it yeah so. i was happy i didn't like that show of all the long way around series that was by far the worst one no i was watching for the rivians i yeah, wasn't watching for exactly. the bikes <laughs> I was yeah. just going to say that yeah. exact. It's worth watching <laughs> yeah. to see Rivian really put their neck out there and yeah. show the they showed the problems they had. They were honest about the fixes. Like yeah. I give them a ton of credit for just doing that and not trying to hide everything. Well, they had somebody else do their R&D for them. Yeah. <laughs> the show was a crock for Harley. Um and I like I like the I like Harley just fine everything against Harley. I used to work at a Harley shop back in the day. They're fine if you like Harley. I don't care. Actually, I think Harley has spun on that. That electric bike is not selling and they've taken that chassis and they put a, a, an actual engine in it now and it's a pretty neat bike. Yeah, but, they're yeah. making an actual uh adventure it's a dual bike. Sport. Yeah, 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 dual sport, which yeah. is cool. I'm I'm glad for that. But the the way they did the charging on that trip, the limited range they had, that would have taken them years. Yeah. In there. And they had to install charging stations along the way. Like, I'm all about building the better infrastructure, like I've said. But, yeah, watch the show to watch the Rivians and yeah. skip the riding That's part. That's the actual fun part, it was, yeah. it was garbage for the, the riding, which is unfortunate because Long Way Around was so good. Also, if I'm going to get on a bike, I want some sound. Yeah. I'm sitting here staring at my new I was just so. going to yeah. tell you to bring that up. Tell <laughs> yeah. me more about your bike project. Oh, I, and in typical fashion, I said, you know, it's winter. I'm going to, the bike's going to sit. And I got on the internet one night and ended up. You know, if you don't know, I, I bought a new 2022 CRF450RL, and there's a lot of stuff you can do to them. One of it being the, the you know, the smog kit delete, um, which I definitely did not do because that, you're that? not supposed to do that. And thermostat delete, uh, exhaust, uh, new ECU out of Australia, um, which out of Vortex, uh, new bars, new mirrors. Um, lightened up the bike. I think I'm taking close to five pounds off the bike. Which That's is, a lot. It's a lot on that bike. Yeah. And I've given it more power. You know, one of the biggest problems with that bike is when you come, part of the engine management system that Honda put in there for their emissions is when you take your hand off the throttle, it cuts the fuel. When you cut the fuel on a bike, it throws you forward. A lot. Um, so I had put a throttle tamer on it, which helped, but this is going to help. It's funny because I've got it, it. I'm still waiting for a couple of pieces to come in, so I haven't fired it up yet, but... All of the research I've done through all the dual sport groups, this Vortex solves it in the fact that basically when you come off the throttle, it doesn't cut the fuel. It just drops the fuel map so that basically you're not being thrown over the handlebars. But I am absolutely in love with this bike. I mean, it's been put away for a little bit right now because it's literally torn down. But I was telling Dan, <laughs> I was laughing. It's rain for a week straight anyway. Yeah, it's supposed to be raining. But I mean, I've got my giant Milwaukee toolbox and I literally just rolled it down into my parking space and some guy walked by me and goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm working on my bike. And he's like where'd you get that? And I was like, I keep it at my apartment. He's like, I have my tools in my, in my, why am I not doing that? I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> this is like, don't get me wrong. This, my box is like six feet tall and like four, four, four and a half feet wide. So yeah, I was just going to say, we need to give people a size yeah. reference. This is not like a little, like, <laughs> no, husky this is roll a around giant box. Milwaukee, a yeah, <laughs> giant Milwaukee two stack, uh, rolling box, which I love, but, uh, it's just, I mean, in, like rolling it out of here and into the elevator, it sounded like the you know the second coming of, of, of <laughs> yes, yeah, 
So, because I think I'm, I'm pretty sure it weighs close to about mm, six to seven hundred pounds with all my tools in it. So, but it was just kind of funny to see that. But uh, yeah, I it you know it was a winter project that I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'll uh, I'll just let it wait and I won't. But some things came on sale and they were available and and, and especially in today's market with things not being available, I I just sort of bit the bullet and bought a bunch of stuff. So um, I'm really excited. I mean, I, I will see, obviously we'll be getting out there and trying to ride it a little bit. Uh, the next thing I really need to do, in fact, I need to talk to you about this is I need to get new tires. The tires that come on that are just, they're not bad, but they yeah. are a generic tire. I need to get a little bit fatter rear because it's going to, that bike's going to spend more time off road. I'd like it to spend a lot more time off road, especially, um, but you still got to get there. I gotcha. still got to get there. So, um, and the, 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 that's nothing saying that the tires that came on it are great. It's just, they're not really meant for what I want to do with it. So, mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I did a ton of research cause as you know, on that, uh, that other 650, I had the, the, on the, the KLR, it had that FMF pipe, which was so obnoxious <laughs> and they make an FMM pipe for this and Yoshi. And I'm such a fan of Yoshi. I bought the Yoshi pipe. You know, I've got the, we got the Yoshi pipe on the monkeys mm-hmm. there. It's, it's a better product. I think it's American made product. I don't think a lot of people don't know that the Yoshimura pipes are American made. Everybody yep. assumes that they're Japanese. Yeah. A lot of exhaust, except for like a crop vision, a few others are American made yeah. for, for us bikes. And I like them, yeah. you know, and you can, you know, you, it, it these ones come with the spark arresters there. It's a good price. And I mean, not that I care because it's, it's an, it's a dual sport, but I mean the tip of the muffler is carbon fiber. So you know, <laughs> it so, is really pretty, which is pretty. So, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to do that. I've done. And then, like I said, I did the thermostat delete just because those bikes run so well. And especially with the new engine management system and they, they're not overheating. Um, and I'm, you know, it's not a bike that I'm going to be sitting in traffic with. So, yeah. and like I said, it eliminates changing out the muffler system and not doing the emissions delete with all the car, the carb cans takes close to about five pounds off the bike. So, which is a lot when you can do, you know, a yeah. 170 pound bike or whatever it is. Yeah. No, it's, it's a three, it's about 300 pounds. It's a little, it's a little about okay. 300 pounds, yeah. I think, but still, um, it's, it's been, it's been fun. And then, you know, I did the IMS tank, which helped immensely. That's, I will never understand why Honda gives somebody a dual sport bike and puts a two gallon tank on it, which means basically you're going into the reserve after a, after a gallon and a half because they have to have, you know, get you there. But yeah, and they get decent mileage, but yeah, they do. But well, they do because of all the crap. Like you come off the throttle. Like the first time I came off the throttle, it was funny because I well, I really came off the throttles when I came off the ferry coming back here, and I came off the throttle hard and about came over the handlebars. So, um, it's fun. It's it's been a fun project. Um, it's funny because I've got the the battery out of the monkey because the monkey doesn't have the nice battery in it. And I've got to keep on charge on it, but I keep looking at it going. Well, I could put the battery back in there. And I've got <laughs> I've got everything ready to winterize the bikes, basically. You know, so that they you know I've got all my fuel saver, which I don't really. I realized that the part of the fuel saver. I mean, you need it. You know, when, but part of it is to to stop corrosion in the tank. Well, my AMS tank is plastic. Yeah. So I'm not going to get as much in there. I'm I mean, still going to do it. I'm, yeah, oh, it I'm doing still it. gel up and uh, clog your injectors up. It was but much worse on carburetors. You want to get it into but, the yeah. into the. In, but I'm saying I was one of the things yeah. they're like, yeah, it'll it'll rust your tank, and I'm like, well, good luck rusting that plastic tank. So, <laughs> you know, so, but it's it's been a fun project. Um, you know, I. I, I looked for, I mean, I owned it for less than a month and a half before I had 600 miles on it. So it's going to get its first oil change too. So it's, so, yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. Cool. Yeah. I'm excited to see it. I haven't seen it. Like, I mean, since you had it new. Yeah. It's tore down right now. Well, I mean, so, like, I'm excited to see it when it's done. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's talk a little bit about what's coming up with Avance here. Um, I think the, uh, the November 4th Avance Dirt Race, 
Dirtfish Rally School. I think that's sold out now. Um, but if not, uh, you can go online and find the, the tickets there or find the, the passes. Uh, they are doing that, that Gas and Guns with uh, Securitas Gun Club, which, by the way, I think is security. Se- security Gun Club. <laughs> Securitas. They're celebrating their two-year anniversary, too. So congra- uh, congratulations to Mr. Fowler and all that. I need to not go to that or I'll buy something. I, I, well, <laughs> by buying everything for the bike, I've stopped myself from buying any more pew-pews. The Northwest, uh, Northwest Idea House Tour and Drive on November 7th. It's uh, Sunday, November 7th, for a beautiful drive through Woodenville, and then they're stopping at an exclusive home tour. Something we've made fun of, but Avance is actually going to make it fun. They're going to have a, a really cool display at the Seattle International Auto Show. We've seen, we've heard some inside news on what they're trying to kind of put up there. You should definitely go check it out. Yeah, street versus track. Yep. So it's going to be a street car yep. and the track car equivalent, which is pretty cool. Yep. Uh, the one I'm excited for and will be at, of course, the Avance Off-Road Events. Absolutely. November 20th. It'll probably be raining. It'll probably be wet. It'll probably be cold, but we will have a heater, a grill, and... Yeah, I think I think, I think think it's time to... to I, I've got to check this still. I've got to make, uh, make some calls, but I think the BioLites should make an, uh, you know, an appearance and yeah. see if we can light a fire out there. But there's one that's, re- that's coming up that we're oh, yeah. really are passionate about. We talked about is the Avance Ladies Night, uh, and that's December second at, at Group Two Motorsports or Group Two Automotive, sorry. Yeah. Um, and they this is going to be awesome. We will not be at that one, but <laughs> if you are a female and in the automotive industry, you should definitely be going to this. It's a great time to get together, know some of your other female enthusiasts, and, um, and there are yeah. a lot of them. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, and if you're just trying to get your feet wet, a uh, great place to go especially for ladies. Um, also, the, I want to go back to the Advanced Off-Road event. Somebody posted in the, what was it, the Northwest Overlanding Facebook group. They'd taken some pictures of their new forerunner. They attempted Natchez, uh on street tires. <laughs> Did not go well. I don't think they aired down. You got you to gotta figure stuff out the hard way sometimes. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it looked like it was a pretty expensive lesson to learn because Natchez is not a friendly trail. It's not an easy trail. Oh, I can speak to that, yeah. That is a what most people consider a, this time of year, would be considered a hard trail. Yeah. In the dead of summer, it's probably a medium, and you will still probably want body armor to do it right just, just to be on the safe side, or it's going to take you a long time. It's not an easy trail. That said, if you want to come out to the Avance Off-Road event, that's really what this is designed for. You can get to know what you need to do. Like I said, this guy was brand new. He wasn't trying to show off. He did not make a post to show, like, look what I did with my new Forerunner. It was like, hey, I did this, and everybody jumped on the thread, like, I can't believe you didn't air it down. I can't believe running those tires. It's like, dude, the guy doesn't know. He doesn't know. Don't and be he tried. Yeah, and he tried. There's more than you can do. Yeah, yeah so. so don't be a jerk. Um, but that said, if you're new to off-roading, or you know somebody is, or you just want to go out there and watch the fun, please, please, please come out to the Avance Off-Road event and save yourself a lot of money and body damage. <laughs> These guys will tell you how to spot, how to use recovery gear. <laughs> I did Natchez before the Subaru was lifted, and I would not have done it with, I could not have finished it without some of the cars. Like, one section I got towed through, I probably could have made it, but I didn't think I could make it. Um, you know, Trevor had to take his front bumper off. I mean, you can do it, but go with somebody. Yeah, I, mean, I couldn't take, do it in the Raptor. Yeah. No way. It's way yeah, width-wise, you couldn't do that in the Raptor, no. no. I've um, ridden through there a hundred times. Yeah. Great. It's a great trail to ride on, actually. Yeah. This time of year, it's a giant mud pit to ride through, but it's still fun. A lot of rocks, though. middle of summer, and it was still a mud pit when I was out there. Yeah, so. that's what I'm saying. Still fun. Like, it's like it's doable, but no. One of the coolest parts, if you do the right Natchez Trail, is there's literally a wooden boardwalk you get to drive on, which yeah. is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was. I remember we were driving across a, a bridge in Moab, and there's this one trail we did. I think it has officially 18 uh, river crossings. 
Oh, okay. On the trail. Just a few, okay. Yeah, and like I said, this trail is managed by the Moab Bureau, or the Utah Bureau of Land Management. Yeah. So that's, the river crossings are graded and filled. Like, there's gravel laid down, and yeah. it's like, this This is one of those things where like, well, how can you do that in a river? That must be so destructive to the environment. Every time it rains, that river has a new route. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> and it's all rock. There's yeah. not a bunch of dirt. It's not a bunch of fish. I did see some crayfish. That was cute. Mm. It tried to bite me, but it was they, cute. They've probably been there for centuries, but yeah. Right, yeah. yeah like, yeah. no, this is not a salmon spawning stream in Utah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it was uh, it was really cool to do that. But there was a bridge that was literally, like, laid down railroad ties and constructed and reinforced, and it had, like, a five-ton weight limit on it. But it was, it was really cool. And it's probably movable because, like you said, the river goes around it sometimes. So yeah, it's funny. It's funny going out there. I wish they would do this more here because it really saves the environment. There's one spot in it was Chicken Corners Trail, and if you've been out there, that's a, that's a rated medium trail. It was probably the most I wanted to do in the Raptor just due to clearance. Um, it's because I didn't have the sliders. Like I said, the middle of that trail, the middle of nowhere, is <laughs> this giant cement slab on a corner, like huge cement slab, and you could tell that they had moved all the cement in there to stop the erosion on that corner because they call it chicken corners for a reason because okay. if you hit a little too far to one side, you fall 1,000 feet off a cliff. Oh. It's like next to a canyon, a okay. massive canyon. Yeah. Uh, canyon lands is the opposing canyon. <laughs> That's where your land Hence is in name. canyon lands? Yeah, you okay. land in the uh, <laughs> the Colorado River. That would be bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which would be bad, and I don't think anybody dies on it. But they, they, they did that there. It was like, we don't can use this for off-road. If we just you know spend some money on actually reinforcing it, it'll keep people on the trail. And one of the things they tell you is don't go off the trail and make a new one. Like this isn't rated for high clearance SUV or, or high clearance vehicles. So if you can't do this, don't go on the trail. Don't go around it and drive through the desert and, and break the environment. And most people don't. Yeah. People get it. And I wish they would do that here because there is a happy medium. And I think that was probably the hardest part of this trip is coming back and realizing that there is no, they think that anything off-road is bad and you can't maintain it to a, a, a point people will enjoy it. They do the hiking trails, but not with off-roading here. And we have so many great places to go. So many logging roads that we could just, if they would just spend a little time on infrastructure and all the money we pay in tabs and taxes, you could give, like Washington could have such an amazing overlanding route beyond the Wabder. Yeah. And people well, would pay for it. If you, if, if, if you know anything about Natchez, there is a, there's, there's, one, there's one special way to get in there. And it has been driven a thousand times to the point where you literally are driving on a trail that used to be level with the ground, and it's higher than some people's roofs because yep. people gun up it. But and that gets maintained. There's, there's, there's you. They have to maintain it. But there's trail crews here, yeah. but it's not the same. You no. know, it's not. They're not bringing in extra gravel. They're not reinforcing the trail so people don't mess it up. And more importantly, we don't have the ranger support that they do there. Like you go out in the middle of the nowhere in these trails. Yeah, you're going to run into a ranger. Yeah, and they're going to be they're going to make sure people are on the trail. And most people are just more than happy to see them. Cause <laughs> they're like we want we want yeah. to be here so we're glad you're here keeping it keeping things going sure so, sure yeah i just i wish washington would get its act together in so many ways but that's one of them when i'm gone it's like man I, so I miss weird. the freedom it's so weird that our tax money doesn't go to where they say it goes okay um <laughs> yeah, yeah i just like i just miss the freedom every time i go to idaho or utah or wyoming especially mm-hmm. <laughs> keep wyoming lawless is a town motto absolutely um don't disagree with it but yeah it, it's there's a, a bunch of self-checks and it's just, man, I can't believe how different it is. And more and more, it's getting. Well, I mean, we're not trying to make political statements, but the world's a different place right now. And it's it's gotten even tougher here, unfortunately, in Washington State. Um, so yeah, It was weird to put a mask on when I got back. Yeah. 
Like that yeah. was, you just, you'd be looked at like you had a third eye walking into a, a restaurant in Moab with a mask on. I'd be like, what? It's kind of <laughs> like that in Austin too. Yeah. <laughs> nice when you got to the airport, but yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. tough, you know? So stay strong. Hopefully we're going to get through this. Uh, <laughs> we'll be we're all walking right. back and forth. We'll be all right. But so, uh, yeah. Yeah. If you want to break from it though, man, hit up Idaho, hit up Utah, have a good time. Like, and again, I posted a route the day. If you got a sports car right now, Moab is heaven. Way to go. It's getting cold, so you're going to need winter tire, like winter performance tires. But there are so many amazing back roads out there that I discovered this trip. Holy crap. Like, we looked at each other across the car. We're like, we need to get that R8. We need yeah. to make that a more of a priority because <laughs> we would have towed the R8 with the Raptor down there sure. and been in heaven. Sure. Like, yeah, throw that on a trailer yeah. and you are set down Maybe there. Rain City needs to do a rally, a Moab rally. Oh, I think man. that'd be fun. I think, yeah, yeah I've got, a, yeah, I just got a name for that in my head already. I'm going to save it because okay. I think we can do that uh, for cool. spring. Okay. And, oh, I mean, yeah, we yeah. got the right people for that already. Yeah. The right mix. And, I mean, I think we're, I think, I think we, we know we need to be back in Moab for a rally. I think we need to do a monkey rally down there, definitely, it sounds oh, like. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think it's going to be fun. Oh, we got some good stuff coming up. Yeah, like I said, we I didn't forget about that. Uh, that um, obviously you did forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the word the uh-huh. scavenger hunt. Oh, absolutely. We're gonna yeah. We we well, we got to get some. The problem is we got to get some stuff to do that with. And yeah, so, no, yeah. I did the inventory. Yeah. I did the order. <laughs> yeah. I got some new stuff. I got some new design ideas actually oh, already down. Okay. So like I said, we were trying to make a hat, but I've been really struggling with making one that wasn't just generic and boring. Yes. And I don't mean, I like our logo, obviously, but I wanted to make the hat worth wearing sure. versus just, you know, here's a black trucker in our logo. Mm-hmm. Cool, but that's not, it's not enough. Yes, I agree. I agree. The passion is, I appreciate the passion. I want the passion. passion. I want people to want our stuff. I want you, we want you to want us. Yes. <laughs> you want me? Yeah. We're oh, copy great. strike. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. Well, let's wrap up this week's episode. As always, I'm Nick. I'm Dan. And don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.